Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Whether you're looking to get on your very first store shelf or you're looking to grow your national or even international food brand, this podcast is going to teach you what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale a packaged food brand. Hear the food founder journeys of brands growing in their industry so you can fast track your food business success. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. Hey guys, I'm here with Julia Kirwak from Nude Foods. And today we're talking about what's going on with Nude Foods, how they're thriving, what's going on, and what you guys can learn from it. So Julia, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Thank you for having me, of course. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Really excited to have you here. Uh, We actually met at an event in Toronto not too long ago, and it was for food founders. And I was really excited about what you guys are doing with Nude Foods. So for anyone who is not aware of Nude Foods, can you talk to us a little bit about what this product is and who exactly you are for? Sure. So essentially, in a nutshell, we make some of the most nutrient-dense, clean, Uh, and healthy snacks on the market. Uh, They're dehydrated and they cover pretty much every growing trend and category in the marketplace just by default. That's not necessarily by design. I I wish I was that smart, (laughs) but we literally are um, all vegan uh, or plant-based, depending on how you want to say it. Organic, raw, nut-free, paleo, sugar-free. We have uh, grain-free and gluten-free and then we have keto options as well. So um, that's a lot in a nutshell. And they mostly look like uh, little crackers uh, because they are dehydrated. Uh, They're based on fruits or vegetables or seeds. And that's pretty much it. We add in superfoods for additional micronutrients. Um, I'm a holistic nutritionist. I know I didn't say that as well. Um, So I really understand the nutrient density and trying to create food as function and kind of where that ties into who our key target um, is or the problem we're solving is we're essentially Having people who are super busy, uh, which we all are, living in mostly urban, modern environments, uh, and allowing them to stay nourished throughout their crazy days without sacrificing on on their health. Got it. And the fact that you're a nutritional um, expert there, is that what led you to create this? Or what, of all the food products out there, what made you decide that this is what you wanted to create and, and offer this up to people? Yeah, great question. So I was actually a ballet dancer. Um, feels like a lifetime ago. I was living in San Francisco. I was in a company there. And um, then I had moved to New York for the audition season and had some pretty terrible injuries. Um, but being a ballet dancer, from a negative perspective, we're obviously made to be really cognizant of our weight, um, for better or worse. And more often, it's for worse from what I've seen. And um, with that, we still have to have energy to perform at a really high level like an athlete. So I was trying to figure out for, with my science kind of nerd hat, which I really love, kind of biology and chemistry and understanding how can I as a human look a certain way and have a certain aesthetic, um, but still have the energy to you know, perform optimally and obviously still stay healthy. So that kind of drove me down the path of studying nutrition on my own um, while I was still dancing. And then when I had a career-ending injury and I moved back to Canada, um, I felt there was a lot less options 
here in health food stores. This was many years ago. I won't say how old because <laughs> I'm going to be dating myself a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I basically couldn't find anything that fit up to my standards. Uh, I was vegan, I still am, um, and gluten-free. So I had a hard time finding things that were either super nutrient-dense and tasted really good for you. Um, and so the rest is history. I decided to become a nutritionist. So I had the accreditation um, and wanted to improve the products that were out there on the world and help people eat better. So the rest is history, as they say. Have you found that being a nutritionist has helped you get that credibility with retailers and even with consumers when you're trying to get them to understand why you are different and better than some of the other options out there? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I've had a lot of people approach me and say, oh, I buy your products because you're a nutritionist. I think obviously when the average consumer is walking down a grocery store shelf and there's thousands of SKUs to choose from, um, you know, it only says in small writing on the back of the bag that I'm a nutritionist. So in order to get someone to even pick up the bag and read that much detail, like I'd be happy with people just reading ingredients. Uh, and that nine times out of 10 doesn't happen. So I can't really speak to, you know, from a first impressions perspective of that being the main driving factor as to why people buy it. I, I don't think that is, to be honest. Um, but I think once people become a little bit more, um, you know, in tune with the brand and they learn a little bit more about the background, you know, my mission and why I'm looking to, you know, do what I do and that I can actually speak to it, um, because I have the nutrition education, I think that does provide a little bit more credibility. But from you know an initial pitch perspective or the consumer first interactions, I, I don't think that's necessarily the main driving force. What do you think it is when people are going down the grocery store shelf, virtual retail shelf or live physical shelf that's getting them to pick you up versus someone else? Yeah, that's also a good question. Um, so it's funny because we're kind of looking at these types of questions now from the psycholo psychology of why people buy. Um, and I think that's something brands always look at to try and fine tune it, make sure that they're aligned with obviously their core demographic and their target. Um, for me, I think selfishly, I kind of just always designed things that I knew I liked as a millennial that was really, really dedicated to eating clean foods and having dietary restrictions. But that's obviously not every consumer and that's not the mainstream. So it's actually, um, to be really transparent, it's been a really interesting journey to kind of go from the natural channel where I have my diehard kind of fans, um, now to transition into more of the conventional channels where there isn't the same education um, with eating or necessarily the same dietary restrictions or the same interests for a lot of people. So um, that has been something, yeah, really interesting to deal with. And it's something that we still look at. Uh, but to go to your original question as to why, at least I think people buy, you know, I don't have a ton of data and analytics when things are done through brick and mortar and retail stores. It just either sells or it doesn't. Um, but we don't always know exactly what the demographics are of the people who are buying it because I'm not standing there, unfortunately, with the camera. Um, but I would say just given our packaging and obviously your viewers um, can go on our website and check out to see what it looks like for a visual. Um, but it has really big letters um, to really do the call outs of our diets that we cover. So you'll see in really big, bold letters, paleo, vegan, organic. So my guess, I mean, that sounds terrible to say my guess, but I would say that's probably the first thing to draw someone in. Um, 
And it's aesthetically, it stands out against some of our competitors, depending on the category that we're merchandised in. And that does also vary across various channels between conventional and natural. Um, so, you know, in the natural uh, set, we're always white. So we will stand out a little bit differently compared to some of our competitors there. Um, whereas in crackers, we have a few people now that are very white um, facing bags as well. So that doesn't necessarily contrast quite as much. So we're going through a rebrand actually right now as we speak. You'll have to uh, share that out with everyone afterwards uh, yeah. to see that new new rebrand that you guys are working on. Um, so you guys, you started out with more natural. You're going into this more mainstream now, which is which is great. I think that's a really great sign of like growth when you're able to reach more people that way while still holding true to who your brand is, who that core is. Uh, when you think about just the growth of the company uh, in terms of from when you guys first started to where you are now, talk to me about one of the big wins that you have had that really has made you feel like we have something here that people really want and and kind of follow up to that. Like, who do you think you really were being in those moments when you found a big win that helped you get there? Okay. So for the first question, to kind of ties into the second, I mean, I don't think that I'll ever really be satisfied with kind of the growth that I have. So we still have so much work left. And I think that one of my negatives is I always look at kind of what's left to climb in the mountain instead of what I've climbed already. Um, so I don't necessarily take the time to sit down and be like, wow, look at all we've accomplished. Cause all I see is the fires that have to be put out every single day. That's pretty much what, um, takes up the bulk of my time. Um, and then of course, when you're dealing with people, they're extremely unpredictable. Um, so you've always got that kind of pressing on you, whether it's staff and HR or, um, you know, retail buyers and those types of relationships that you have to maintain. So there's, there's a lot to all always kind of do. So you don't really sit down and you're like, I've made it. Like, I definitely don't feel like I've made it. We have so much work left. Um, but to go back to your question of, you know, a moment that I felt like I really accomplished something, uh, it was when we were a lot smaller. So I think I, I did feel a lot happier and had more time <laughs> to probably celebrate than I do now. Um, and that was definitely when we got into Whole Foods. Um, you know, they're not necessarily on the same pedestal now that they were, um, you know, back in the day in regards to what they meant from a purity. And uh, I mean, I still love them, don't get me wrong. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean the same, I feel, since Amazon came in um, and just what it means to get in there. So to me, when I got in, it was just like, literally, that was my I made it moment. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. <laughs> And sorry, you asked the person I was, I guess, at the time of making that. So yeah, like who did you have to be? Oftentimes when you're getting like a win, you have to, you're doing something uncomfortable. You are having to just shift how the company was operating potentially in terms of bringing in new people, um, pushing forward on those sales conversations. Oftentimes to get to where that next level is, something's got to change, right? So what changed to help you guys get there? Um, so for us, the catalyst that allowed us to get into Whole Foods wasn't necessarily a key hire um, or any behavior change on my end. I mean, I've, I've found that I haven't really changed too much, it feels like. Uh, and maybe that's why I'm not bigger, because <laughs> I'm very stubborn. Um, but I would say 
the key catalyst to kind of drive the entrance into Whole Foods for us, for sure, was um, being on Dragon's Den. That provided so much exposure um, to the country that I had been calling Whole Foods like every day for a year. And at that time, the buyer was extremely difficult to get a hold of. He wouldn't answer the phone unless uh, he recognized your number. So, you know, how's he ever going to meet new people and make new friends if he doesn't know your number? So um, it was impossible until we got on uh, until we got on to Dragon's Den. So that for sure was the catalyst. And I wouldn't say I really had to change or anything to do that. I've um, again, that's where my performance background comes in um, from being a dancer. So I'm used to really high stakes, uh, you know, performances and obviously being super uncomfortable and being pushed into make or break uh, types of situations that you're either going to fall flat on your face, literally, um, or you're going to stand up and you're going to kill it. So, um, you know, that's just, and I, and I always take the approach of either they're going to like me or they're not. There's nothing that I can really do. All I can do is try my best and that's pretty much it. So yeah. You got the Whole Foods buyer to become your friend. I love you say, say that. <laughs> How's he going to make new friends? <laughs> exactly. Well, I wouldn't say we're really friends, <laughs> but, but we got in there. We'll say that. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And then talk to me about where you guys are going right now. Like what's next for the business right now? Um, and you know, what's coming up as you're, you're going through this next phase of growth? Like what are some of the challenges that are coming with reaching that next level for you? Yeah. So there's always challenges. Um, I would say, I would say for me, I think we probably skipped quite a few steps in the beginning and the foundational kind of, uh, you know, beginnings of the business, um, in regards to knowing where we wanted to go and kind of what the velocities and volumes would look like. Cause we make our product too. So that's like running two businesses. We've got the operations and the production facility, and then we've also got the brand, uh, with the sales and marketing. Um, so for me, I think we kind of just always knew, okay, there's going to be these types of expenses and we know it's going to be really hard to make this really new novel type of product that no one's really scaled before in Canada, um, you know, with a dehydrated nutrient dense product. Um, and then something that's based on, you know, fruits and vegetables, not with fillers like starches and things like that, which you commonly see. So it's a really expensive, expensive product to make. Um, and we don't have enough margin. Uh, but we kind of just always figured that we would be able to get to scalability and automation at some point where it would kind of catch up. So I'd say that was kind of probably the most critical error because it didn't leave enough room um, to have any mistakes for you know a rainy day. <laughs> and we've definitely had that. So I think coronavirus, oddly enough, has kind of caused everyone to kind of take a breath, slow down and be able to re-strategize some key things that kind of were missing as we just kind of hustled and bustled along. Um, so that's one of the, the main things, just to summarize, is profitability. We're focusing on right now a lot more. Um, and yeah, how do we how do we automate? How do we you know reduce labor costs? How do we do these types of things to help us to get to the to the next level? Otherwise, we're we're going to be in big trouble. Those challenges, I feel like those are like the like the growing up type of type of pieces, right? It's those pieces that oftentimes do get overlooked at the beginning. We have great food. You want to get it out there. You want to get listed, um, and then taking a step back afterwards and seeing where our merchants at how do we automate how do we get our production staff to work best how do we run lines more efficiently those are really the things that can help in the long run though so i know it's 
probably a little hairy right now, especially with everything yeah. going on. But uh, trust that those are the pieces that hopefully will help you get to that next level of growth. And then as you're talking about next level of growth too, you talk about it being right now in Canada. Do you have plans to expand it uh, to America or anywhere else right now? So we are in the United States already. Um, we have distributors. We're in California. We're in Hawaii, Nevada, and Arizona. Um, <clears throat> it's way too expensive to, to be down there when you don't have um, financing behind you. So that's another key piece is we're looking at, okay, so how do we get financing? But you can't get the financing piece until you've got um, the profit margin figured out because they have to see a clear path to profitability. So um, it's, it's kind of a catch 22, a little, or the chicken and the egg issue. It's like, well, how do I get here if I don't have the funds to fix these problems right now? So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of stage we're at. Um, and then I think as well with coronavirus, it's kind of making people be a lot more, um, diligent in kind of their planning and you really have to be able to sit down look in the mirror and and probably deal with things that you wouldn't necessarily have dealt with um, yet um, in the present moment that you might have been pushing off you really have to deal with them now so it's it's kind of nice in a way to get that chance to do it um, and even with e-commerce and digital we've always been like ah we'll do that one day because less than two percent of our revenue comes online right now um, and now it's like well <laughs> we can't depend on retailers uh, we don't know how long this is going to last from a disruption of human behavior perspective uh, or what the world's going to look like when we come out on the other end. So um, so that's definitely been a really good driving force to be more diligent and sit down and, and really fix fix this stuff. The silver lining, it's forcing you to look at things you weren't looking at, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For anyone who is looking to start a food business right now, or if they're in the early stages, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, so I would say don't. Maybe go to approach stores now. Um, but you obviously can start to plan. Um, you know, again, maybe if you've been laid off, like, you know, a 2008 recession, anytime there's a recession, you see tons and tons of emergence of entrepreneurs and new companies and new ideas. So we also know that that's going to be chasing our back. Um, when we come out of this other side. So we better also be ready for the onslaught of entrepreneurs. Um, <clears throat> so I think that, you know, in any recession, like you said before, there's, there's a silver lining. I think that we definitely are going to see more people starting businesses out of necessity. And if you are starting, definitely focus on your formulation. Take the time to really breathe and do things right. Um, you know, a lot of people are at home right now, maybe not as much in the food industry because we are an essential service. So we're still able to work. I'm at the office right now. Um, you know, we are able to work. So you might have a bit of trick uh, or tricky times, uh, tying people down that you might want to interview or talk to. Um, but you know, take the time to email them, call them. Um, more often than not, people probably are available right now. So I would say to anybody, anytime, do your research call who you can, ask them these hard questions because it's better to know before you're kind of stuck in it. And then you've made all this investment of your time and money and you can't get it back. Um, so definitely do that. And then you won't really be getting into any brick and mortars right now uh, just because of the huge decline in um, visitation from customers uh, in Lester Loblaws. Um, but I would say for sure, de definitely you know, do your direct-to-consumer um, e-commerce type initiatives. And I think then you'll be off in a better place. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, and then finally, what, uh, what does your product pair perfectly with for anyone who wants to go and give it a shot if they haven't tried it already? 
So we have four product lines. Um, we have one that's a chocolate covered banana. I mean, I wouldn't say that I would really dip it in stuff. That one's just great on its own. Uh, but the other three product lines are crackers. So two savory and one sweet. Um, the sweet ones, of course, you could crumble it and make it like a grain-free granola on a smoothie bowl or, you know, yogurt uh, or dip it in a nut butter. And then the savory ones, of course, like how you'd eat any savory cracker, you could top it with, you know, a, a cheese or a vegan cheese, um, hummus, those types of things, uh, or use them as a crouton in a salad. So pretty, uh, yeah. Pretty, pretty decent with the amount of times that you could use it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, this is right before lunch that we're recording. I'm officially really, really hungry right now. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for all of this, Julia. Um, thanks for sharing the journey of nude food. And we're excited to see you grow. Awesome. Thanks for having me. The Food Founders Podcast is brought to you by the Fab Growth Academy, the online hub for driven food and beverage business owners that want to get on more shelves, get into more homes, and really grow their food business. Inside the Fab Growth Academy, Fab standing for food and beverage, you'll have unlimited access to tools, resources, and training from myself and my food friends. So if you know you have a great product, Let's work on building the business side of things so that more people can enjoy it and you can make the impact I know you want to make with your business. The Fab Growth Academy is now open. So hop on over to growmyfoodbrand.com to join me and your fellow food founders inside the Fab Growth Academy. I cannot wait to see you in there and help you grow your business.